go. Is everybody in? Is everybody in? Is everybody in? The ceremony is about to begin. What is up, pop culture pro fans? Uh, this is Pro Tunes, brought to you by Pop Culture Pros, uh, one of the newest shows on the Pop Culture Pros Network. Uh, if you have not checked us out before, then what the hell is wrong with you? Uh, we are starting this out. It is Pro Tunes. We're going to go through albums and music. and w- w- it-, it is an open forum, but uh, my buddy Tim, to my left, might be to your right. I'm not sure how that works out right now, but my buddy Tim, who I, I have known for more than most people in my life. Uh, we are huge Doors fans, so we decided to kind of kick this off since it, it was our idea with the Doors. We're going to go album by album and just kind of run through the songs and talk to you a little bit about how we feel about them. And we, we would love your feedback. Open up the chat. DM us on Pop Culture Pros. Uh, and then once we're done going through all of the Doors albums, so if you're not a Doors fan, sit tight. Please be patient. There will be other things coming. Um, and also, if you're not a Doors fan, listen in. We might change your mind. Uh, we're going to do a whole lot of other things, and the genre of music will not be limited. Uh, we have a lot of generational people on the Pop Culture Pros Network, or we like to call ourselves the Pop Culture Pros family, uh, who like a whole different array of music. It's going to be fun. Check us out, popculturepros.com. If you're watching now, after you're done watching, go check us out on almost any social media network, Pop Culture Pros, uh, Instagram, uh, Twitter, whatever the hell. Facebook. Ass. Facebook. <laughs> check us out. Um, also, while you're on there, check out all the other um podcasts we have especially on youtube go subscribe on youtube there's a ton of other podcasts out there from music to movies to sports like it all you'll love it but this is pop culture pros pro tunes volume three the doors waiting for the sun, we, for the sun. sorry i had we, to hear a little bit <laughs> no go for it bro we, we've been through the doors first album the doors original lp uh side a and b um, we have one, we went through the second album and now we're going through their third release, which came out in 1968, Tim, 68. Yep. July 3rd, 1968. Waiting for the sun. And I, I, I'll let you jump in real quick. I just, I, I'll just say that this album, and if you've been listening to the first two shows, uh, you'll understand And If not, go back and check us out. You'll enjoy the shows while you're working, working out or whatever you're doing, driving your car. Uh, put us on, but this album is to me the bridge between the Doors creating music for the studio to the Doors becoming the Doors. W- what's your take on that, Tim? Yeah, you know what? Let me apologize too, by the way, because if you watch the first two shows, I kept we kept saying, "Well, it's my fault too." I think I, I think I stuck it in your head, Keith. Five albums, five albums, yeah, five albums, five, and I was completely wrong. As a huge Doors fan, I punished myself. It's six studio albums. What threw me off, I think, is that Waiting for the Sun, the single, the song, is not on Waiting for the Sun, the album, which is kind of weird. So this is, like the third, yeah, this is the third out of six. 
not five. So we do have three more to go after this. So stay patient. I am an asshole. I apologize to Keith. I apologize to everybody. It is six albums. This is the third. And yeah, this this is this is beginning the like you said, the arc. This is the album where they started running out of all Jim's original material he wrote before they got signed by Electra. This is where after this album is where they all had to come up with new stuff and sit down and write new stuff. And that was hard to do considering Jim's problems, we'll call them. You know, he couldn't get him to sit down, let alone write a goddamn song. Attention so, span problem. Yeah, his, his, his ADD back in the day. Hey, it's uh, irony, Tim. Some guy named Danny who shares your last name. Just Yes, that's my cousin Danny. What's up, Dan? 68. Yeah, you were alive in 68. Oh, wait, you're related to him? I'm a month older than you. <laughs> What's up, Danny? I don't, I, did I ever meet Danny? I don't think so, right? Probably. At my, at my party that we were all there together at that one time. Oh, if I did meet you, Danny, I was very drunk. Everybody was very drunk that day. I hope I left a good impression on you, bro. <laughs> but any cousin of Tim is a cousin of mine. What's up, Danny? Thanks for joining, bro. Oh, there you go. There's the boss man checking in. Farachi, my buddy. Hope you're doing good, Farachi. Yeah, you know, and I... Okay, so I'm a huge Doors fan. Um, but, you know, the, the Doors are a... <laughs> <laughs> You and me both, don't worry. So the Doors are a very, well, they've been around a long time, and they're a very peculiar band. Uh, But because they've been around a long time, when you become a big fan of them, you're able to kind of like Netflix binge on their music. And music lasts longer than TV shows. So you could like, and I call it Netflix binge because it relates to today's day and age, even to me. Uh, But you can Netflix binge on their music, and you can really listen to the music constantly for probably a few years and just super get into it. But um, as time goes by, you tend to not listen as much. It doesn't mean you're not as big a fan. It just means other things piquing your interest. Um, So this show has really brought me back to like listening to more and more doors. And I I am so like reinventing my doors fandom and, and, Loving this music even more. I don't know about you, Tim. Yeah, just before I told you I was going to take a nap before we did the show, I put this album on and I put it right next to my head as I went. To, I took a nap, so it kind of seeped in a little bit. But yeah, I've been digging it, man. I've been listening. To, I go backwards. If you look at what I've been buying off like iTunes and all that stuff or streaming or whatever, I'm going backwards, dude. I am downloading stuff from the fifties, the sixties, the seventies. It's weird how as you get older, you go backwards. I can't stand this new shit they got going on today. And, and that's the thing. And thank God that we grew up in an age where there's such a huge catalog of music going backwards that we can live the rest of our lives reinventing and relearning and discovering new music. Because it's true. A lot of the stuff that comes out today is is really not good. You know, there's, there's very few bands out there today that I totally respect. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the bands I respect is uh, Foo Fighters. Yep. Never respected them. Uh, well, I didn't disrespect them or dislike them, but never really discovered them until my older and later years in life because they sounded very poppy. Uh, and then going back, you know, just listen to them musically and their lyrics and how they play. They are a super talented, great band. Um, but they're, the they're, last, they're the last real rock band going on right now. That's why I brought them up because it, oh, yeah. there's no, you know, there, there's other bands that attempt at things. 
did come out with some new music and good music, but they're the last consistent real rock band. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you don't you don't hear much out there. And going back into the Doors era, there were so many beautiful, amazing the Beatles, Jimi Hendrix, Janis Joplin, the Doors, Rolling Stones, and Led Zeppelin started coming out towards uh, their Doors fourth or fifth album. Sabbath. Uh, Came Sabbath. Out later. Oh, Sabbath is one of my favorites. You can go on and on and on. But my point is, nowadays, you don't have that variety. But also, going back, if you look at the Doors, they were so unique. We've mentioned this before. They were so unique. The way they played their music, their instruments. uh, I think Raymond Zarek made that band most unique. What What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. Like well, see, we've said it a hundred times already. These aren't a bunch of guys that got together in a garage and said, "Hey, let's make a band." These are four well-educated, college-graduated, uh, classically trained musicians who happen to stumble upon this crazy-ass crooner slash screamer who can actually do whatever he wanted with his voice, and they made magic together. I mean, it's just, it's just a fact of what it is. Uh, I know a lot of people don't don't get it. I know a lot of people don't like them. They think they're, you know, a little crazy, which, you know, come on, Jim's lyrics are a little out there. But I mean, they're true, they're true rock songs. Your LA Women's, your Roadhouse Blues, your Light My Fires. Genius. It's all genius. And I said, if you listen to it individually, the way they put this together, it's just crazy how these four guys put this together. That's why I love them so much. It, it is. And uh, to Farachi's point, Farachi can go reinvent this himself. <laughs> and if if you watch any of the banter on any of the shows that Farachi and I are part of, uh, you'll get that. But Farachi and I uh, love to banter, love to argue. We love each other, but uh, you know, he, he's in he's in his car right now, so he don't see what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> love you, Farachi. But let's just jump jump right into the first song, um, which is oh, wait wait. I, I wanted to I want to do something different though because yeah, this, this is really weird though. The first single, actually, I know the first single on the album is "Hello, I Love You," but the first song released as a single was "The Unknown Soldier," which I think is a very, very, very weird song to release as your first single off an album. I don't know why. It's just that's not your typical traditional. Let's release. Let's let's grab everyone's attention with this song. So I, I, I mean, it's, 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 I mean, it's obviously super political. It's super, you know, of the time it's super Vietnam. Uh, and it's, I said, it's a really odd choice considering the other 10 songs on this album. So what, what do you think of them releasing this at this single first? Well, right before I jump into that, I just want to put up Farachi's comment since he is the founder of pop culture pros. And if you're not, a part of Pop Culture Pros, again, I'll tell you, check us out on every social media network, Pop Culture Pros, hashtag PCP, like us, follow us, you will not regret it, especially on YouTube. But Farachi had said, uh, I feel like the doors, it's either you get it or you just don't. And that makes a lot of sense because uh, Jim Morrison is is very, some of his songs, like Hello, I Love You, for example, it's just straightforward. It's a poppy type song. But most of his music is very poetic, very puzzling in the lyrics. Either you feel it and understand it or you don't. Uh, the, the instruments itself are very unique. 
uh, as we have touched on in the past. But to answer your question directly before I go completely off the rails, which I've been known to do, um, it is a very uh, political song. And just to bring everybody back, since I took us all into another universe, we're talking about the unknown soldier that Tim asked about. Um, and um, at least I recognize that I go off the rails, right? So Unknown Soldier, it is a very political song. And I, I listened to it today, and I know you and I have really enjoyed that song together. Um, and personally, I've really enjoyed that song. And I, I listened to it today, and I got distracted. I listened to it probably about three times today because I knew we were doing this album. And the first time I listened to it, I was distracted. Why? Because a lot of the sound effects, I'll say, where he's, and I think it's Jim, if I'm not mistaken, he's playing like a, a, a drill sergeant or a, mm -hmm. like a commander in the military. Yep. And he, he's got an army with him. He's like, present, ho. Mm -hmm. And the sound effects sounded so canned. What I mean by canned, just like cheap, uh, reused. But then... I listened to it the second time and I realized they aren't canned sounds. They aren't cheap sounds. It's actually Jim creating those sounds. Mm -hmm. um, and then when I listened to it a third time, I realized Jim is a military brat. I wouldn't call him a brat, but it, it just, it rings a bell when I say military brat. He was raised by a military family. His father was a major general, right, Tim? Was it major general? Uh, he, uh, he, Admiral, I believe. I think he was Admiral, Admiral, yeah. Yeah, Admiral or something. He was big time. So yes. in the song, there's a portion of the song where you hear soldiers marching you were, and the commander telling them to stop, the commander telling them to present arms, the commander telling them to fire. By the third time I heard it, it dawned on me that Jim is probably repeating from experience what he heard mm -hmm. on base while moving around the world with his father. And it just rang so much like depth into the whole entire song. And that part of the song where he says, present arms and fire and they shoot down a soldier it's not necessarily an execution. I think um, this is just my take on it. I think he is presenting the American youth being marched out to war to die. And I think it was his protest song for Vietnam. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm And this is one of those songs too. I know we talk about it a lot. Uh, you have to see them do this live. Because it's a whole it's a spectacle. Jim will, Jim will come out. He'll do a little march. He kind of puts his arms behind his back, ties himself to the microphone stand. Robbie will come out with the guitar and act like a gun, and, and they'll have that brrrr, and they'll drag it out. They love to drag shit out. And then, bam, that hits the drum, and Jim fucking drops to the ground. And again, he'll leave there for as long as he feels like. And then he'll come back in with, make a grave. So, so goddamn good. It is so, so good to watch that song. I think uh, Hollywood Bowl did it the best, if I'm not mistaken. That was the one that they saw. But yeah, it was, it's, a, it's an unusual choice for, for a first single. So, I don't know. I, I just thought it was a very unusual choice, considering they had Hello, I Love You in, in the tank. Keith, I can't hear you. Where'd you go? Hello? 
Yeah, I don't know if it's you. It might be me because you couldn't hear me. Can you hear me now? Yeah. I yeah. I, you were you, muted. Oh, was I? Okay, well, there you go. But you, you sounded very choppy. <laughs> and I've been dealing with, thank oh. you, uh, Blue Stream. Uh, but I've been they've been doing maintenance, and it's been interfering with work and everything else. Um, yeah, I, I will say everybody complains about Bluestream, which is like a weird, different provider in Coral Springs. They have been great since the whole pandemic. I have had minimal issues, but they've been doing what they call maintenance, and I've been dealing with issues. So if I go out, just text me or call me. I got my phone on vibrate. Uh, but Tim... Keith goes on mute sometimes. I do, Farach. You're right. Um, going back to the comments real quick, um, Farachi, uh Danny Tabala, DT, as opposed to TNT, said, I want to do peyote <laughs> because of Jim, and I'd probably never want to do it, but uh, G Money, G Money, our buddy up, grew up with him. We love G. Uh, so many hits. He loves the doors, too. We know that. Uh, Farachi had said, I've been listening, and now I looked. Keith, what up is your body? Uh, I, I wore that blue shirt, Farach, the one I wore during uh, putting the books a couple weeks back where I started disappearing, so I just eliminated my body this time around to uh, try it to minimize good. It looks good with the background, though. It looks good with the background. It, it does. Your shoulder's Jim's eyeball. I, like I, it. I, I came home really quick. I would have put on a black or blue shirt, which I normally do for the show. Oh, look at look at Ray chilling on your whole left side. It's pretty it awesome. <laughs> oh, let's cuddle, Ray. Get me and Ray a cuddly. So uh, that's what it is for us. I'm wearing that blue striped shirt. Uh, George says that music can get uh, you lost and deep. And Farach tagged his brother. So uh, since he tagged his brother, real quick, we'll dedicate this show, if you're right with that, Tim, Absolutely. to uh, Stuart again this week. Stuart, we love you, bro. Kick ass and uh, listen to us. I hope you enjoy the show. Stay but strong, anyway, bro. Stay strong. Stay strong, my brother. But um, are you okay with just kind of jumping to the top of the album list over yeah, here? Yeah, absolutely. No, yeah, I just wanted to point out that that was a weird choice for a first single release. But yeah, yeah, I'm ready to go back now. No, it was really weird. And I think was that a side B or was that? No, their... it was a side A. It was definitely going to be released. Cause side B to that song was a uh, we could we could be so good together. And um, ah. yeah, it was just really weird. That, that, that I said when you have "Hello, I Love You," and and um, what was the other one? Like your five to ones and stuff. I I don't see another soldier as their first single, but what the hell do I know? Yeah, but you know what? Um, it, it also kind of fits in a way if you think about like you and I are, are super fans. So I'll I'll break it down, but make it quick. The Doors and everybody blames Jim for the middle finger they always put up to the world. But it's not just Jim. It's the Doors. The whole band. Yeah, it's the time, too. Jim was the face to the middle finger. And sometimes Jim kind of just went out there with the middle finger without asking first. But they all believed in the middle finger to society. It is what it is. Jim got the bad rap for it. But it was a band initiative. And I think that Unknown Soldier song being the single was their way of saying, uh, you know, we don't believe in this war. And... You know, it was their protest. Whatever. I could be wrong. Just my thoughts on it. But the first song, I'm Waiting for the Sun, is a song that probably most of you don't know. It's a very rare song. <laughs> most of you have not heard it before. Uh, it's it's uh, It was a uh, top song in Yugoslavia. It's called <laughs> Hello, I Love You. <laughs> 
uh, hello, I love you. I mean, who, who, when you think Doors, you think, hello, I love you. Uh, that's one of the first songs if you're not a big Doors fan. Like for Tim and I, it's not the first song we think of, but for the general population, it is a first song that most people think of. It, to me, was... I mean, the first two albums had a ton of hits, but Hello, I Love You, to me, was their most commercialized hit out there. What do you think? Yeah, definitely. It's, 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 this is the the handful of songs that if you know who the Doors are, this is probably the one that you know. This one or you know, Light My Fire, obviously. Um, and the interesting thing is this was written <laughs> by Jim for a – and it's funny how they say it specifically – for a black girl that he saw in Venice Beach one day. And that's how he wrote this song. Why you have to say she was black? I don't know. Because back then it was significant. It, it, it meant <laughs> that that's was, hysterical. I, I think back then it meant that they were trying to point out that he was progressive and open-minded. You yeah, know, for, bang, he'd bang anything that moved. He didn't give a shit. Uh, for us this day and age, um, you know, artists, whether it's acting, music, or whatever, I refer to you as your name, not like, hey, you seen that black actor? You seen that black artist? You know, we have a different, well, you and I do, and I know Farachi does, and most people listening do, but uh, some some people unfortunately don't, and we need still as a country to progress, but we've come so far because like, I'll look at somebody who's super talented. Hey, you seen that black guy? No. <laughs> I will say, hey, you seen John on such and such show? I will not refer to his race. I'll refer to his you name. Know. You know, it's great though, like you said, when older people like that, when, when they, they say certain words, no matter how they say it or mean it, it sounds racist. And it's just, it makes me laugh, even though they don't mean it, of course. But like, um, I remember on the Doors special on the album, when, when Ray says, when he's playing the piano, he says, look, it sounds Latino. It sounds racist coming out of his, even though he doesn't mean anything by it. Latino, no, right. Latino. He's just proving, showing that it sounds Latino. But the way he says it, Latino, it's like, whoa. Whoa! Did he just get racist on us? It's just, it's just the way those those old guys talk. Saying now. it with like zero. Yeah, it's just, uh, it makes me laugh every time he says zero like, attempt to have an accent on. Yeah, I was a, dying my, laughing. My grandmother, my grandmother, who was one of the most loving. Well, it depends who. Outside of the family, inside of the family, not so much. But my grandmother, I love her to death. Uh, she would say, if a black person helped her, let's say it's a man. She'd be like, oh, that colored man was so sweet. <laughs> and in her mind, she was saying something nice. Nice and, and normal. You know, I was, yeah. and we grew up in a more progressive age, and <laughs> I would be so embarrassed. I'd be like, okay, Grandma, why don't you ask him his name? Instead of calling him that colored man. But, you know, it's just, it, it, is, it is an age thing. It is uh, a thing that we need to... Be responsible for and we need to make sure we are progressing our kids to not have that same ignorance that our parents and grandparents had not that our parents and grandparents were bad but yeah you know it's just we're responsible as parents to graduate our kids to that next age of acceptance and understanding that we're all the same shit doesn't matter your skin you know but anyway i'm going off into a whole other tangent here uh, so, <laughs> yeah, race to me is a very personal thing. I, I hate racism, and 
if we start talking about it, I can literally talk about it for like three, four hours. That's a, that's a whole separate show. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it is because, and I'm sure I'd, I'd aggravate a lot of people because I would tell a lot of people about themselves because I seriously hate racism. It's it's the most disgusting, worst thing in the entire world. But the second song on the album is Love Street. Speaking I'm, of, I'm sneezing here. I'm sorry. I'm speaking of uh, acceptance and not being racist, um, she lives on Love Street. Lingers long on Love Street. Um, you, do you have any facts about this song that you can enlighten our people with? Yeah, real quick, though. Hello, I Love You, by the way, was number one. And it was number one at the same time as Jose Feliciano's version of Light My Fire. <laughs> That's oh. hysterical. So they had, they, they had, the Doors had two songs at number one at the same time on, on one chart and on the other chart. You know, like, I guess it was the Latino chart and the American chart. So that was, I think it's a pretty cool little thing to do. Yeah, we, we talked about the Jose Feliciano uh, version, didn't we, in the first album? Yeah. Yeah, that's hysterical. So the Doors had two number ones. Wait. This, at the same time. Yeah, right. And one was not sung by them, ironically. But okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Love Street. Love Street was was actually a poem before it was a song written by Jim uh, about some street in, in where they lived with Pam. So this is kind of like the first real Pam song because we talked about the other two albums had all his breakup songs with his other girl, Mary, whatever the hell her name was. We always forget her name, and this kind of seems the first song that pops up as far as Pam goes. Pam, his lifelong partner, if you want to call her that. Not that he was ever faithful. Well, Maybe at the end he was, but you know he was. Uh, she was the muse to his whacked out poetry. Um, yeah, he loved the hell out of her, and and he sharded as much as Danny Tabala sharded his pants for her. <laughs> I was trying to ignore it. I didn't want to bring it up again. I can't but okay. ignore that. Come on. <laughs> so, yeah, this is kind of the first Pam song. Uh, Love Street is actually some street I saw, I believe, was in Laurel Canyon, California. Um, yeah, man. And he mentions the store that they used to always go to. Uh, there's a store where the creatures meet. He's at the store that he was used to across the street from where they were. Um, everything Jim writes is, you know, means something. And I love this song. I think this is like a sweet. Not a, you don't picture this song coming from Jim. Uh, maybe the maybe the poetry in his head sounded different, but when the Doors added the music, it, it became like a very non-Jim song. But I think it's fantastic. Yeah, I think it's amazing. I think that it shows, like you said, a whole different side of Jim, and you know he loved Pam uh, to his own detriment, as we all know. Like we, we don't know what happened at the end. We don't we don't know what the what involved him overdosing, if that's exactly what happened, or Pam's involvement in that. But we do know that she was with him all the way up to that point. Uh we also know that Jim did whatever he wanted to do. That's true. Too. Um, you know, so that it's it's not like anything is Pam's fault. And eventually, unfortunately, um, I think that it was a lot more than she could handle and she Ended up. Uh, how does she die? Overdose, also, right? I, yeah, she did later on. Not so long so after either. Not so long after. Yeah, very sad, you know, because she she probably just got so upset at what he did, and we'll we'll get into this later towards like the end of uh, the albums. But it, it just a quick thing. It, it it came across like Jim was not aiming to do that. And it, it was kind of an accident. 
Um, not that anybody aims to overdose, but like he specifically did not want to die from what I understand. And it, it just, it karma caught up with him or his, um, what Tim had said in the past, especially in our first episode, his willingness or uh, desire to push the envelope or get on to the other side. Break uh, yeah. You know, I, I, I don't know. I don't want to know. I have friends that I grew up with that have overdosed. I don't want to know what's in the mind. I don't want to understand it because that's a whole other realm. So I'm not trying to understand Jim's reasoning behind that, but I don't think he wanted to die. Well, he didn't really overdose technically. He didn't really, I don't think he was really on the hard stuff at the end. His, his, his technical, he died of coronary failure. All, all the drugs, you know, destroyed his heart to the point where, you know, at 27 years old, if, if you're having major congestive heart failure like that, you know, you fucked up. Um, do, do, do it, wasn't think- really an, it really wasn't an overdose. It was more of everything finally caught up. And plus, you know him, he don't go to the doctor. He's one of those dudes. I'm not going to no doctor. You know, I'll, I'll fucking go to a, a shaman medicine man. He'll do a little dance and I'll be okay for the rest of the day. So he didn't really take care of himself. So he got sick I and, love when yeah, and re- refused to go to the doctor, <clears throat> hopped in a tub one day, and I had a massive heart attack. So, you know, he OD'd, but he didn't OD. He OD'd on life. <laughs> and then it finally caught up with him. Yeah, I don't, I don't think... Again, I, don't, I have no idea. You know what I mean? But I, I, I have to imagine, like, because I, I know, like, everything kind of, like, piled up on him. The whole Miami situation, which we will get into down the line on the show, a little quick teaser and everything else. But um, I know he was feeling a lot of the pressure, a lot of weight on his shoulder. And that's kind of why he went to France. And when he went there, typical Jim, he made a lot of friends uh, in high friends and wrong places, mm-hmm. wrong friends in high places, however you want to put it. And it, that's the path that he went down and it's super unfortunate, you know, it's, and his, the age he died is super ironic, which may be a whole other show, another teaser, um, Kurt Cobain, uh, Jimi Hendrix, uh, Janis Joplin, Jim Morrison all died at what aged him? 27. You know, it's, I it's said, that should be episode 27. That's what that should be. So 27, <laughs> whatever we're in the middle of, it's all going to stop. Tim and I are going to come and bring to you all the 27-year-old rock stars that passed, including Jim. <laughs> but, no, it's a good idea, Tim. I like that. So, um, you, you, you know, like, you, you don't know what was in his mind, where he was. You, nobody knows. Pam may know, but she died shortly after. And even her may not be able to completely speak to where he was at mentally. Um, it's just sad, regardless of anything else. It's sad because he was an amazing talent. Yep, I agree. You know, and uh, I'm not sure, but I'm going to put this pressure on you, Tim. What yeah. is uh, Diamond Studded Monkey? <laughs> it's from, from the song Lazy Diamond Studded, but it's, it's funky, isn't it? Not monkey. Not it, monkey. <laughs> da, 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 da. Oh, yeah, that's right. Love, it's uh, Love Street. Yeah. yeah it's Love Street. Sorry, Danny. <laughs> I tried to blow up your spot, but you really just put me on the spot. So the third song, wow, we, we're going slow because we're just completely yapping about everything, which is really cool. It's all right. The third song is one of my favorite songs. 
I'm if it's okay, Tim, I'm gonna just let you kind of go on about the third song, which is "Not to Touch the Earth" on the "Waiting for the Sun" album by the Doors. Yeah, uh, yeah, I love this song too. And this is again, I'm not trying to. I'm, I guess we are trying to promote the live album because we're always talking about it. This is another. It's a great song on the album. It is a fantastic song live. It is, and again, it's not just this song. This is part of what Jim called and the Doors called the celebration of the lizard. This song was Dax Mag in the middle of the celebration of the lizard. The celebration of the lizard was lions in the street, wake up, a little game, which is a phenomenal little song, uh, the hill dwellers, not to touch the earth, name to the kingdom, and the palace of exile. Point Dave your Dave. left hand upwards. Yes. Tim. My, me? Yeah. There you go. Celebration of Lizard. <laughs> so yeah, um <laughs> and I said if you watch that if you watch that live, it, it is an absolute fantastic the way they did it. And the funny thing is the celebration of the lizard, when they put that on uh on the album, it was because they didn't have enough songs. So like we're gonna throw in this whole big giant thing here that Jim wanted to do for a long time. But yeah, not such the earth is definitely one of those what the hell is he thinking songs? And all the lyrics supposedly have some kind of backwards. We like um, dead president corpse in a driver's car. The engine was on glue and tar. It was something he always questioned about. Uh, lyrics I sent you, right? Yeah, about Kennedy. Why Kennedy would sit in an open car and go so exactly. slow. So that was what that was all about. So, um, but yeah, this is definitely one of those. I This is the kind of song where I, I understand what people be like. This song's too fucking weird, man. I can't listen to this crap. I get it, but you gotta really enjoy, enjoy like, just really listen to it and really appreciate the music. And again, if you have a chance to see it live, oh, well, I don't mean live, live, obviously, because it's the guy's been dead for forty years. But I mean, <laughs> I mean, watch a live performance of this of the Celebration of Lizard. So damn good. Keith, you're out again. That's because I'm talking on mute. <laughs> Ironically, I had said to Farachi, I'm not sure if it was today or yesterday, if one more person on a company meeting says, I'm talking on mute, and if somebody else goes, ha, 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 I'm going to lose my crap. And uh, I just did it. And you just laughed. So uh, screw you. Lose shit. Myself. You, you can lose your shit then. That's fine. Yeah. No, I love you, but screw you and screw myself. So, um, it, yeah, like this song is, it, it's a poetic song, but it's it's deep. I, I, you know, a, a lot of Jim's poetry and songs mean different things at different stages in your life, and it's quite amazing. Um, one thing I'll say is, if you've never heard this song before, don't drink more than like two or three drinks. <laughs> and then listen to it because you'll just get like inherently angry and you'll not even know what you're angry about. And you might like throw shit across your living room and break things in your house and really upset your wife. But um, the mansion is warm at the top of the hill, rich are the rooms and the comforts there. Uh, red are the arms of the luxuriant chairs and you won't know a thing till you get inside. Like, what? Inside. Um, and it gets angry. You, you can see like Ray like pounded on the fucking key as the song goes on. Exactly. Angry, angry, and, and then it rises. It's so great. And that anger, and that's why I say don't drink when you listen to the song, because when you drink, most people, including myself, 
I'm a happy drunk, but like if you point me towards anger, I will happily embrace that too. Because right after that verse, it goes, dead president's corpse in a driver's car. The engine runs on glue and tar. Coming along, not going very far to the east to meet the czar. And all you could think is Kennedy. And what is Jim saying there? Dead president's corpse in a driver's car. You have to assume he's talking about Kennedy. Uh, the engine runs on glue and tar. You have to assume he's a, he's saying they're driving the car at a certain pace and area to assist the assassination of the president. Mm -hmm. In his own way, yep. Uh, come on along, not going very far. Can't go very far when you're dead. The car may go further. You ain't going very far. To the east to meet the czar. I'm not quite sure sure what that means. That may be some kind of afterlife um, reference that Jim's making. Um, but that verse, like Tim was saying, it leads up to it. And you hear uh, Ray's organ, dun, 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 dun. And it just, it riles you up. Run with me. You know, um, this, is key. this is one of the first, excuse me for saying it, this is like a mosh song. This is one of those I songs agree, that start. Yeah. Do, 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 do. And it's all nice and quiet, not to touch the earth. And they said it just builds and builds and builds. And once you get to that point where he's banging on that keyboard, you want to you want to fucking run around and hit somebody. It's so great. No, it's a good point, Tim. Because I mean, you you know me. Like I've been to, uh, I've been to, and don't get jealous, all of you. I've been to at least four, maybe five, live Pantera concerts. I have seen Rage Against the Machine live. Uh, twice. Uh, like I've seen the most amazing, amazing mosh bands ever live. Um, so from that experience, I have to say Tim is one hundred percent right because that song it just riles you up. Like you just want to get out there and start swinging and moshing and just like, but out of love. And if any of you've moshed before, you understand that it's love. It's Love Street. <laughs> it lingers long on Love Street. But yeah, I recommend watching Celebration of the Lizard. Again, that's probably on the Hollywood Bowl. They do a good version of that. It's, it's so good live. It's just another great uh you gotta watch you gotta watch Jim. You gotta watch Jim, definitely. Jim definitely when he does his stuff, his personal stuff, his real personal stuff, he gets more into it. He puts more is he not that he shows excitement on his face because he doesn't, but you can just tell how much he loves doing his shit more than like Robbie's words or, you know, but yeah, the celebration of the lizard is great. Little game is fucking phenomenal. That's not on any album either. That's just part of the lizard, right? I love little game. It, it's yeah, so believe, small, but it's part of the, part that of the is lizard. such a great little song. And if you listen to their live albums, and again, I'm kind of like Tim, I'm over repeating myself with doors, live albums. Um, and the reason why Tim and I mention that so often is because they are so, um, there's such a, uh, you know, it's, it's hard to find the words, but what I'll say is, uh, thinking quick, they're such a, a, a raw talent band mm -hmm. and they have this 
great ability to feed off of each other, which we have mentioned before in the show. So like, no matter what one band member is doing, Jim was typically the orchestra leader of the band, uh, mm -hmm. but no matter what one band person is doing, they all just readjusted their focus to keep the band in tune. It, they're just an amazing band. Live, they are so good. Studio, they are amazing. I mean, I love their studio albums, but live, they are just like so raw and so talented. Except for, you know, like you, you'll see online, like look up on YouTube, Jim Drong, Jim High. Jim, you know, th there's instances where Tim just, Tim. <laughs> Tim ruined everything. Where Jim just kind of ruined a live performance with his intoxication. Uh, but that was the exception, not the rule. Jim Morrison was super talented. Jim Morrison knew how to handle a crowd. Uh, did he get high and screw up and take the band down the wrong path sometimes? Yes. Was that what he always did? No. Like I said, it was the exception, not the rule. Wouldn't you agree, Tim? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I said, this is the kind of thing like we talked about before. Some people might not like them, you know. They don't get it. They either get it, you don't. But if you're if you're just listening to, oh, he has weird lyrics. I get that. But if you're not paying attention to the music, to the guitar, to the keyboard, to the drums, and you lose, you're really missing out on one of the great bands of all time, and how they all mix together, and how they all come together, and how they said they took this guy who never sang before. And, and turned them into one of the greatest bands of all time. You're really missing out. I understand the lyrics get a little strange, of course they do, but you said you miss. You really, you really have to listen because you're, you're missing out. And, and truthfully, before the Doors, what other band had one guy playing electronic organ and piano, drum, bass guitar, and uh, excuse me, lead guitar and vocals? It was yeah. such a weird combination, and they they reinvented a certain genre of music. They were just so good. It was just, I mean, I'm a huge fan, so maybe I'm biased, but to me, they really, really are pioneers, and I don't think anybody, to my knowledge, has ever repeated the talent and... No, I agree. Yeah, the music that they have ever produced. RD, hey RD, what's up, RD? He says, uh, wait, Jim Morrison used drugs? <laughs> no, Jim Morrison was sober. He was an AA participant and uh, flagship person of uh, Narcotics Anonymous. <laughs> yeah, so what we were saying, RD, is honestly, you know, I what we were getting across and i think we have in the last two shows and if you didn't catch the last two shows check us out pop culture pros go to youtube there's a lot of shows out there uh because you uh pop culture pros has a complete huge genre of different videos from uh music to wrestling to uh sports but uh check out our shows the last two shows we kind of touched on that a little bit in saying that Jim, yes, he abused, but it, it wasn't to the point of like Oliver Stone portrayed. It was more like Jim pushing boundaries and things like that. Oh, we'll talk about that um, too at the end. 
Yeah, we'll we'll get more into that. But uh, w welcome to the show, RD. We we appreciate you, bro. Thanks for thanks for tuning in. Uh, check out our other shows. I hope you enjoy it. This is the third one. So there's two before this. Let's do it while you're at work, driving your car, at the gym, or whatever else you're doing on Pop Culture Pros, uh, on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, your sister's ass, or wherever else. An Anchor, Spotify, iTunes, all that yeah, shit. Yeah, I can't even keep up with it. I just know, like, I'm old, so I, I'm a Facebook person. I go to YouTube because my kids are there, and uh, excuse me, Instagram because my kids are there, and YouTube because that's where I learned to do everything else that I can't do in life. Um, exactly. If you don't know to do something, you go to YouTube. It. So the, the next song, just moving right along, if that's okay with you, Tim. Absolutely. Uh, next song is, I think we're at summer's almost gone. Yep. We're only in the fourth song. So we're going to have to start. <laughs> <laughs> so this song to me, like I don't have a lot to say on this song. It's a nice song. Uh, as I've always said with the doors, I, there's no song on the doors albums that I dislike. Like, I don't have to ever fast forward any song on the, what is it, six albums, Tim? Now There's no songs on the six albums I have to fast forward. There are songs I prefer to hear if I made a Keats Greatest Hit Doors songs. But um, Summer's Almost Gone, it's a nice song. Summer is almost gone. It, you know, I, I'm not sure what Jim's talking about. It's uh, repetitive, than, too. Yeah, there's not a lot of lyrics to it. Yeah, it's 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 a nice little song. Not again, you said not one of my favorites. Would it make my uh would it make my greatest hits? Um I do think the fact that the next song is about winter and this song is about summer was purposely done. I don't think that was done unintentionally. Uh but yeah, I mean it's it's a nice little song. I, I wouldn't go out of the way, you know. Say hey, this is the one that that'll set your hair on fire. But again, it's a nice little, little. I think every Doors album has the Crazy Jim song, the Robbie song, the love song, and then like you know the pop song. Uh, yeah, where this one fits, I don't know exactly, but I, it's a nice little song. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna bash it. Uh, I'm not gonna sit here and say it's the greatest thing ever. But I do think the next two songs were put on this album on purpose. Summer and winter, something was going on there. That's not, that's not a coincidence. That summer and winter were back to back. You're probably right, and I don't. I think the Doors. I don't. I don't know if they did it for every album, but I know for at least almost all their albums, uh, they didn't really believe. And you mentioned this, Tim, in song credit. You know, like Jim wrote this, Robbie wrote this, Ray wrote this. Uh, it was a Doors song, so like maybe Jim wrote the lyrics, but he didn't feel responsible to take credit for the song because everybody else wrote the music, or maybe mm. Robbie wrote the music and Jim, you know. So Jim was very. You know, Jim could have easily taken over the leadership of that band. And he was very humble. He was like, we're a band. And, yeah. you know, he was a front man. Every once in a while, you saw his little ego kick in. But he was, a, he was a front man. But he was more into, like, we are the doors. So I don't know where the song comes from. If I had to take a guess, I don't think this is Jim poetry. I think this is more like kind of maybe a Robbie Krieger type of thing. Um. But who knows? You know, it's a nice song. It's enjoyable. And like you said, Tim, it probably was not a coincidence being that it came from Summer's Almost Gone, Wintertime Love. Right? Mm -hmm. So we're just going to jump right into the last song on side A, which is 
the unknown soldier. Which we talked about in the beginning, but... Right, so we'll make it short. We did talk about it in the beginning. Great song, but go ahead, Tim. Yeah, like I said, this is the first single off the track, which really, it was, I thought it was an odd pick. Um, super political. Uh, basically hearing a soldier get executed, taken out. I mean, it's, as I said, it's, it's, it's powerful for what it was. And again, there's another one of those things you have to watch them do on stage because it's a great spectacle to see. Um, yeah, everything else we said at the top of the show. It, it's one of those songs, too, that would it make my top list? I don't know. I don't think so. But definitely worth listening to. And uh, I have a fondness for this song because of uh, back in the day, Keith used to do something with Bullet. <laughs> Bullet strikes the helmet said, uh, we won't get into that. <laughs> but, yeah, you used to do something with I remember. I know, I know you're thinking about it now. No, no, I thought about it before the show because as I was listening to the, the song, so prior, the reason, usually Tim and I try to go on a little bit earlier, uh, and the reason why we're running late today is completely my fault. I had to take care of some personal matters. So on my way to and from those personal matters, I was lis listening to this album over and over. And when he said, bullet strikes, and immediately all these memories came to mind. First was you and I on Roosevelt Avenue. Another was me, uh, Fez, Steve, Steve from Jackson Heights, and a couple of the other guys going to see the Rockefeller tree lighting in Manhattan. Uh, whole, so we'll do sidebar stories down the line um, about the Doors and their influence, bad or good, on our lives, and that will be bullet it, a part of that. Stupid kid stuff. Stupid. Nobody yep. got harmed. A couple people got scared, but nobody got harmed. <laughs> well, yeah, and I was very good at scaring people because I, I'm big and imposing. And normally I was hanging out with, like, at least five to ten people. So it's like, you know, pink elephants on the seven train. That was another thing. Yeah. Anyway, so, uh, all right, RD, you're sold? Good <laughs> job, brother. Hey. I'm sure RD is a part of Pop Culture Pro since he's watching us. But if he's, you're not, he's, RD, a, he's, he's a good friend of uh, Eric and from the, the beautiful town of Deposit, New York. Oh, cool. Deposit. Um, go on YouTube and subscribe there if you haven't already. And if you have not, shame on you. Hurry up and do it. So the next song on the album. And ironically, if you want to hear the next song, what do you have to do, Tim? You got to flip it over. Flip that record over, baby. What do you Side mean? B. How Side do you do B. that? Well, see, back in the day, there's this little thing called a record. And you had to take it up and flip it and then put a needle down on the other side. Side B, it was called. You kids would know nothing about that. Then again, I don't know nothing about that either. By the time, by the time I started getting the music, I had eight tracks and then cassettes, then CDs. My, my I, first, I, still, I still like CDs, by the way. I'm more, I'm more cloud person now. Believe it or not, like I don't mm -hmm. want DVDs. I'm done. With, like I don't want clutter. Put everything in the cloud. And I was like, well, what if the internet goes down? Well, then that means the world ended. And I'm not really <laughs> going to care about DVDs and music at that point. I just want survival. But anyway, so <laughs> I, I, I love the first song on side B of Waiting for the Sun, The Doors, which is Spanish Caravan. 
Yep, written by I, Robbie. I, it's a Robbie song. I think Jim had to have his flair in it because if you listen to it, it gets very poetic. Yeah, yeah, it gets a little wacky. Uh, I I don't know much history behind the song. I can just real quick and, and Tim, I know sometimes uh, if if it's available, you know a little bit more than I do on these songs. But I can go ahead and just tell you real quick. This song reminds me, like when I hear this song, it takes me to a different place. It, it's a it's a very special song. Like when I hear it, I almost feel like Jack Sparrow. You know, like you you you're like on an adventure. Carry me, caravan, take me away, mm -hmm. take me to Portugal, take me to Spain. It's it's a really cool song, um, and the music behind it from. To me, the the star behind this song is Ray Manzarek. What do you think? Yeah. Uh, plus, and you got to don't forget Robbie flamenco guitar. He started playing. Oh, right. See, this, yeah. He, right. He, he, right. He said that's what we say all the time. These aren't guys who learned how to play guitar. Like I, he learned how to play the flamenco guitar at seventeen years old. I said that this is why these guys aren't an ordinary band, and we we keep trying to push that. Uh, yeah, he's very into flamenco, so he wrote this song for that. Um, the lyrics, the lyrics are mostly Robbie. The lyrics uh, are mostly, mostly Robbie. I want to say Danny's probably drinking because look at his last comment. Dan, no, he is with football homer champion only because, <laughs> only because it, he, hit, he hit the eagle. We but it's Danny. hard to explain. We had we had we had my cousin Ron. God bless you. I love you. He lived next door to this Legion Hall. I and we, we, I'm so grateful for that. We used to play wiffle ball towards the Legion. The Legion had a flagpole. If you hit the eagle on top of the pole, it was worth a hundred home runs. And this asshole hit it. So that but, was it. We we can never we can never catch up with him that one summer because he hit a goddamn hundred dollar eagle. Did he stuff <laughs> newspaper in his wiffle ball bat? No, we, we did, I don't think we did. We know you know what we used to do to make it fun. We played fat bat bit wiffle ball. With the big red stupid bat. Oh, jeez, yes. So we, we used to beat the <laughs> shit out of the ball to make it make it more fun. So, but no, but he hit the eagle. I'm not going to die today, Andy. You hit the eagle. You deserve your hundred home runs, and we couldn't catch you that summer. So, whatever. <laughs> Muting again, Keith. Muting again. Mute. 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 I was gonna. Oh yeah, thank you. <laughs> I was saying that uh, for all of you just tuning into the show. We can break off into any direction, but I promise yeah. you, we bring the focus back in. We'll bring it back. Um, my mother, I remember had a wiffle ball bat stuffed with newspapers, and I had the balls. And my father was at home, thankfully, because he would have just knocked me out. My father was okay if him and I argued, but disrespect your mother, you're dead. I cursed at my mother. My mother thankfully handled it herself, but she handled it with a wiffle ball stuff. <laughs> I deserved every I deserved every hit of that wiffle bat, and it was much better than the punch in the face my father would have gave me that I also deserved. So uh, that's my memory of wiffle ball. But um, yeah, and Danny Tabala says, "Miss Ron, uh, I had the distinct pleasure of meeting your cousin Ron, um, and if you remember, I think." Two or three times I got to hang out with him. I totally ignored you and just hang out with you guys. Ron, like Ron is amazing. Uh, well, I brought him to uh, Cronin's in, in Astoria with that one a couple of times. Cronin, your party, and, uh, Greenpoint. I think there's at least and maybe more at least three times that I got to hang with Ron, and 
I just totally stopped hanging with you and just hung with your cousin Rod. He was amazing, and him and I had a great time. Love Ron. Uh, hope to yeah. see him on the other side, bro. But um, yeah, so back on topic before we, before we go completely off. Um, so that was Robbie's Robbie Krieger's complete song, Spanish Caravan, huh? All the lyrics and everything. Yeah, and um, yeah, it was. And he also got they. I read here they also got sued a little bit by some. Band who I don't think this band just didn't like the fact that the Doors were doing a song called Spanish Caravan, so they tried to they kind of took ownership of the opening riff or something like that, and they sued, but they didn't really win. They won, but they didn't win. That's what that's how Robbie put it. It's like they were just some band who I think was upset that the, these four hippies made a song called Spanish Caravan with this one guy playing flamenco guitar. Uh, but and yeah, they, I mean, th- this is a song more I like them. I would probably enjoy this better as an instrumental than the lyrics. I dig the instrumental. The lyrics. All right. But yeah, I like the music of this song. Not so much the lyrics. I don't know if it's you or me, but you just totally froze and you were saying the lyrics and then <laughs> you look like this. Heard... <laughs> Let me see. No, my Wi-Fi is okay, so I don't know. Like I said, it could be me because uh, my Wi-Fi provider has been doing maintenance. But uh, I actually really like the uh, lyrics because, like I said, it, it takes me it it takes me to a a place. Like it it, it paints a picture for me. Um, and, and the best way, like I was saying before, for me to explain it is to people who are not from our era or like 20, 30 years before is it, it reminds me of like a, you know, being on a black pearl with uh, Jack Sparrow, you know, yeah. uh, carry me caravan, take me away, take me to Portugal, take me to Spain. Um, Andalusia with fulls of grain. I have seen you and seen you again. And then he starts talking about uh, treasure and going to different countries. Uh, Silver and gold in the mountains of Spain. Uh, um, take me to Spanish caravan. I, yes, I know you can. It may not be what he's saying, but for me personally, it took me into this other place. So, like, maybe when I was a teenager, listening to Waiting for the Sun, I would smoke a doobie, and all of a sudden I'm like this pirate on a ship. <laughs> it, you know, like, it did something for me. So that that's my thing. And I enjoyed the hell out of it. Good. And the next one is really good. Oh, you and I love this song. I know that because you and I, when we were kids, um, we would steal um, Frank Connolly's <laughs> uh, VHS recorder. And I'm sorry, Frank. And thank you so much for being... Uh, well, I'm not patient at the time, but patient now. With us stealing your <laughs> recorder, uh, Tim and I did it a lot more than you know. Sorry, Tim. But um, we did a couple of these parodies of My Wild Love. Uh, it's a great song. I mean, it's a raw song. It's It doesn't have a lot of instrumental. It just feels like they're hanging around a campfire. And they're just like chanting. High, very high. Definitely acid, yep. acid, peyote, one of those kind of yeah. It's very, very. What's the word? Feral, like a feral animal type song, especially the way it builds. 
But this is definitely a gym song. This is one of those songs where I get I get that people don't like the doors. I get it. You don't like them because of this kind of song. But yeah, man, I absolutely this is phenomenal, this song. This is because of the movie too. The movie made us I think when we saw the movie, we really liked this part. This is one of the because parts that really grabbed us. Yeah, they're all in the desert. They're all high. They're all stupid. They're all saying dumb shit. And, all, you know, but meanwhile, Jim's having the out of body experience with the Indian and the desert, and everyone else is a bunch of morons, but he's having this profound experience on, on, on this peyote that they're doing. And that's, remember, don't forget that that, that scene, My Wild Love, leads right into the end, which I think is probably my favorite scene in that movie, uh, how they lead from that song to the end song. Uh, I, I yeah. don't. It's been a long time since I've seen that movie. Was it him and his leather pants and the whiskey? Yeah, they remember they went they went to the desert. Yeah. They did they did the peyote. It was they were singing my wild love around the around the you know the fire or whatever. Then Jim just gets up and says, you know, like fuck it, I'm out. I forget what he says. I forget the exact words. Oh, I just, I says I I, I lie. I just lied to you all. I am scared and just walks off into the desert. And that's the whole. The end starts. Yeah. And he sees the Indian, the eagle, the tribal chief, and then it fades right into him live, Val Kilmer live singing at the whiskey, the end. But he so didn't really good. do a bad job. He didn't do a bad job. No, Val Kilmer did a great job. The movie itself was eh. Well, but- it's not Val it's not any of the actors' fault. It was to me writing and directing. Yeah. So I, I think like, I love the movie because it's the doors. I love all the stones. It, yeah, it wasn't a a good dip, even the even the three the three doors the three living doors said well at the time they were all living, you know it's not a good representation of Jim. He wasn't he wasn't a lunatic. He wasn't that, as chaotic as they made him out to be, uh, and it was really weird. So yeah, he did chaotic stuff, and, and this is becoming consistent. And I'm not sure it's be, if it's because you and I are such big fans or because it's just justified, but it's becoming consistent in now our third podcast that we are defending Jim against that Oliver Stone <laughs> movie. But if you asked us 25 years ago, and yes, Tim and I have known each other that long, that I can say 25 years ago, friend, Tim and I still have been friends for a long time. Almost, well, Almost 40, dude. At least almost 40. 25 years ago in our lives, our friendship was a long time, <laughs> you know? <laughs> now it's just like, all right, well, whatever. You know, that's Tim, and um, that's whatever. That's my buddy, and I'll, I'll, I'll kill somebody for him. But back then, it's like, dude, I've known you like 10 years, and we're only like 20, whatever. But when we seen that movie, it resonated with us a lot. But as we've grown older, I would like to say, Tim, and matured, we have seen that that movie was what the doors have said is an exaggeration. You know, it's, it's not an accurate depiction. And the more we learn and see about the doors, uh, yeah, he, he may have done all those crazy things, but anybody watching this podcast, well, almost anybody, especially me, if you take all the crazy shit I've done in my life and pack it into a two-hour movie, I will look like a homicidal maniac that you want nothing to do with. It's true. It's just, yeah, it is what it is, you know, and the guy was a rock star. He had a rough upbringing, and he was put into numerous situations that he didn't handle right a lot of times. No, it's like you said, we say over and over again, he didn't do these things 
He did that because he was testing the limits of every boundary. If you gave the guy a limit, he he said no. Like you you can you can take a you can take a foot. That's bullshit. I'm gonna take two feet. Now you can't you can't go in that building. Well, I'm gonna go in that building. Well, you can't right. do this. You can't drive that car. Well, I'm gonna drive that fucking car now. That's just the way he was. It was just his personality. And we all did it to a certain extent as kids, right? Like, don't do this. You know, it's 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 like the old adage: don't press the red button. Mm-hmm. You know, it's some of us are made to say, I'm going to press it twice. Some of us are made to say, I will never touch that button again. Yep. You know, so if you're from Woodside, most likely you're the type. Um, and Jim was that type times 10, you know, and it, it is what it is. And unfortunately, it also led to his demise and it's sad. So. But my wild love went riding. She rode all the day. Um, it reminds me of that movie because, and you know, like in that movie, in the Oliver Stone movie, and if I if I remember it correctly, they're all like in a desert, kind of like some of you may relate to Joshua Tree or just being in a desert, they were like close friends tripping out. And it was like a moment of them coming together, Mm -hmm. a bonding moment. And that's how the movie depicted that. And it tied in Jim's obsession with the American Indians and, um, you know, native Americans. It, I, I don't know how true his obsession with Native Americans are. Uh, it does ring in some of his music, but um, in, in the movie, they depicted that he had a serious like attachment to Native Americans and their trials and tribulations in this country. Um, but, you know, that could have been one of those things that they put in the movie to tie to your heartstrings. Well, don't forget too the, the the story that was depicted in the movie was actually true, and from a young age he said he he was saying it when he came across the car accident. Remember the famous car accident, yep. all the dead Indians on the highway, um, and one of their souls hopped into him. Now, that's not something a normal six seven year old kid's going to say, but he was saying at a very young age that that Indian soul leapt into my soul. So yeah, from a young age, he's been walking around saying, you know, I got I got I got an Indian shaman soul in my body, which I think really led to him being who he was. So right. a, you know, it, a bit weird, but yeah. Well, it could have affected him spiritually and it could have been something sure. that actually happened. You know, like uh, I always say, like when you have kids for like when you and I were kids, Tim, it not as much. Our parents didn't do that as much, but their parents more to them. Anytime you would say like this happened to me, or I saw this, and it was something a little off the wall, you were completely dismissed, shut down, and treated like you're just an idiot. Like when you and I were kids, maybe it was only half the time because our parents were more open minded because they grew up through the '60s or the '50s and they seen more things. The beginning of rock and roll, the war era. Um, but I just say, like, to everybody out there, if you have a kid and they're just saying something completely off the wall that makes no sense, 
Just listen to them. Maybe they're crazy. Maybe they're using their imagination. Or maybe they're opening a door that you've never seen before. Don't be scared of it. Because kids are super s smart. And kids, kids are super, like, their perception is amazing. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of what Jim did. Like he saw, he saw those dead Indians and he felt that the spirit jumped into them. Is he crazy? Maybe. But if your kid just said to you while you pass a bunch of dead Indians on the road to him, like Jax, I felt like one of those dead Indians jumped into me. Would yeah, you just tell him you're fucking crazy? Or would you just say, Hey, let's talk I'd about probably, I'd probably shit my pants. <laughs> right. Let's talk about this. Because maybe he's just being crazy, or maybe there's something real about it. You know. Anyway, who's that? Siri. See. Uh, that's Eric. Hire? Another deposit. Another deposit resident. What's up, you, Blake? What's going on? How do you pronounce the first name, Sire? It's Eric. It's just backwards. <laughs> Eric. <laughs> so, quick funny story. Eric had. You posted something about somebody with a bike in the middle of the street, and Eric had posted a joke. Hey, Keith, I didn't realize you were in New York, and I totally overlooked the whole entire fact that he was just trying to insult me. And I was like, no, I'm still in Florida. Karachi <laughs> <laughs> pinged me separately. was like, I think Eric was just trying to make fun of you. And I was like, oh, well, I completely dismissed his joke, so F him. <laughs> Sorry, Eric. Love you, bro. I'm always open to for an insult because I'm always to give an insult. Uh, yeah, so the, the next song on the album, we are really going off the rails on this particular show, aren't we? It's all right. That's what, that's what, what they're made for. Was uh, We Could Be So Good Together. Now, this is a song. I, I'm just going to be quick about this. This is a song that helps you as a fan who may or may not have been a fan of the doors before listen to our podcast understand the range of jim morrison's voice because you hello i love obviously i don't have that singing voice right but hello i love you and then five two one and then he turns around right in the middle of an album actually his third album and just goes we could be so good together. Like a, yeah, like a Broadway singer. And his range of vocals is so impressive. And this song, to me, I, I'm not a big fan of the song. I don't hate it. Like I said, there's no door song I hate. But this song really just shows you another level of his range. And it's mm -hmm. so he just, he's amazing. Yeah, definitely. Um, at first, I thought it was a kind of a love song. It's very poppy. This is their, their pop song, I think, on this album. Like I said, I think they have at least one on every album. Well, maybe not the last two, but we'll get to that anyway. Well, probably the last three. It starts getting dark after this. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, at first, I thought it was like kind of like a, like a, we can be so good together to a woman or to a girl. But I think now, after listening to it a few times the last, over the past week, I think it's more about the hippies. Like, let's all get together. We could be so good together. We can make a change together. We could do all these things together. Um, so I don't think it's a love song. I think it's more one of those, you know, hey, you know, come on, people now. Smile on. This is their version of that. Like, we could, we could be so good together. We can make a change. We could do all this. Uh, yeah, that's just my opinion. 
No, it's a good take. I didn't, I, I've never looked at it that way. Um, and, and it will allow me to like reevaluate how I appreciate the song. And it, it's true. Um, come on, people now. Smile on your brother. Yeah. So, yeah, no, but that was a unity song. You know, to me, I, I thought of the song as a, a love song. Uh, I didn't dismiss it. Like I said, I, I love all of their songs. But since it was not a song that rang to me, I didn't dive into the lyrics to that extent. So that is an awesome take, Tim. I'm gonna I'm definitely going to re-listen to the song uh, either tonight or tomorrow with that thought in mind. Thank you, bro. Sure, man. Like I said, you let's do it three, four, five times, like I do for the like, like as soon as we're done with this, Salt Parade is going to start on my on my list. Just keep listening to it over and over again. After a while, it's kind of like, yeah, I think this is this is their fucking come together song. To me, just me. Like I said, I might be wrong. It could be about a fucking dog for all I know. No, but, it's true. And, and if, that's how if, it seems if to you me. get if you get stuck in your own, like there's, I mean, how many albums I, I've listened to thousands upon thousands of albums uh, uh you know across bands and genres and how many albums have you listened to and a song pops up and you kind of dismiss it because it doesn't hit you here mm-hmm. yeah, it's true you know what i mean and then once somebody enlightens you like this is really what they're talking about you're like oh crap let me re-evaluate that so that's cool thank you i i to me it was just a, a love song i liked it I had no issue against it, but I never dove deeper into it. But now I'm looking at the lyrics. Tell me about the world that will invent uh, wanton world with lament, enterprise, expedition, uh, invitation, and invention. Yeah, so good together. It, it makes sense what you're saying. That's pretty cool. I'm going to have to re-listen to that with a different mindset. Cool. Let's go doors, but let's go Mets first. Sorry, Tim. Oh, that's the Mets. Stop bringing them to Mets. We have to put a limit. We have to put a limit on this Mets stuff. On non- well, I'm just saying, like, you know. <laughs> well, you know, Lindor and the Mets can be so good to anyway. Um, Save it for Wednesday. <laughs> the the next song, uh, and and if you don't know what that means, uh, that means you're not subscribing to Pop Culture Pros, the Put in the Book Show. There's also the Empire 161. Is about the Yankees, and if you don't know about that, that means you're not subscribed, and shame on you. The next song on the Doors album is Yes, The River Knows. Another Robbie. This is a big Robbie song. This is, can, this is where they ran out of Jim's song. This is what they're talking about, how Jim's original group of records ran out. So this is why a lot of other songs had to be written by Robbie. He wrote most of it anyway. R- Robbie was good at writing songs. I will say that. But if you, if you listen to the song, you know it's not a gym song at the same time. No, you can tell right away. You know what I mean? Like, uh, Robbie was very talented. Light My Fire. That was all inspired by Robbie. And then little tweaks and additions there by the rest. But that was a Robbie song. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, Please Believe Me, The River Told Me. I would just so love to play these songs, at least like thirty or forty minute clips, uh, second. Not I know. Minute. I wish we could. Yeah, but the, the the reason why we don't, ladies and gentlemen, is because YouTube, Facebook, they'll block us, Mutants. and then all you would see is us doing this. Yeah, bastards. 
And they don't they don't block out the, the song part. They'll block out like a minute to make sure they get it all. Well, even more than that. And you know what? I remember we were doing the put in the book show, and we played a wrestling song, whatever it was, or something. And they blocked out like the first forty minutes of our podcast. And Farachi had to go back, grab the audio, match it with the video. It, it just it, it's not worth it. So all we're doing is just kind of chatting with you and encouraging you to go check this music out. Um, if we didn't believe in this music, we would just tell you it sucks. Don't listen to it. But the doors are amazing. Listen to it with an open mind. But um, yes, the river, the river knows is a Robbie song, like Tim said. It's a good song. Um, I mean, I don't have much to say on it. it it's it's a good song. It, it helps you carry over to the next song. <laughs> and um, I wouldn't put it on my top favorite songs, but you know. Now, there's not much to say about it. There's a couple of interpretations, none really worth mentioning. Like one person went as far as to say it was about suicide by by because of the song about the there's lyrics about drinking too much wine or some shit. I don't know. I think people are digging a little too deep into that. I think Robbie just wrote like a nice little little ballad, and that's all it was meant to be. I think people every song means something, people. Right, and you know everything's up to interpretation, you know, and that's that's the best artist. Um, their music does not mean the same thing to everybody. Mm-hmm. Like, think of, for example, let me think of a song. Elton John, Tiny Dancer. A lot of people may not like Elton John. They may not believe his politics, or they may be a homophobe. Uh, whatever you are, Elton John is an amazing artist. And if you listen to the song Tiny Dancer, I think emotionally that that song hits everybody emotionally a different way. It's a great freaking song, mm-hmm. amazing. Great um, song. Different artists and adores, but my point being that the songs who are made by great artists attack you in different ways and speak to you in different ways. You know, the artist may be singing about their grandmother's sister's uncle's roommate's niece and to you it may mean like the answer to your marriage and relationship with your children who knows you know what i mean it's just that music is beautiful that way am i yapping too much tim no not at all i love it (laughs) i love every minute of it and let's get to that last one though because that last one again another phenomenal 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 song i think the the second to last one is Yes, the river knows. I don't. Yes. Not much to say about it. Like you said, it's 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 a ballad. I don't think there's anything too much you know behind it. Robbie wrote it. Decent song. Wouldn't put it on my list, but it's a, it's pretty decent. Mute. You're on mute. <laughs> it's because I didn't want you to know what I was saying. Robbie <laughs> is a really good artist and a really good songwriter, and I think that. Um, I, I'm not sure what happened during this album because a lot of Robbie's songs before this had such a Jim flair to it, and then it it, it brought in such power. Mm-hmm. And you can see these songs are minus Jim flair, yeah, and they're kind of f- for lack of, oh, look <laughs> for lack of a better explanation, like a monotone. You know, they're just like a flat. And they said we said it on the last show. I think you, or maybe in this one, you can tell when Jim likes his. All that was being live, 
you like his stuff. He loves to sing his stuff. He likes to sing Robbie's stuff, but he loves to sing his stuff. Right. And if you look at like uh even Light My Fire, because Jim added so much to that, the and they all kind of did that together. Yeah. It was a group project. So like when he's singing somebody else's poetry, it, it kind of sounds monotone. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't add that same power to it. Even like my fi- fire, like my fire is a lot of like flat line beats, the same BPM, the the, the same uh, level of influence from the, the lead singer. But you can hear when Jim gets passionate and he just lights that song on fire, for lack of a better term. Um, but when he's singing these other Robbie songs, you could tell when he's kind of not feeling it. Mm-hmm. Right? Would you agree with that? Oh, I agree 100%. Especially yeah. live. Especially live. You see a huge difference in, in, in his performances when he's doing his stuff. Like Celebration of the Lizard, he absolutely loves that performance. You can just tell. Because it's his song. Yeah, it's his whole... It's, it's his, his lyrics, it's his poetry. It's, it's almost a tribute to him, Celebration of the Lizard. So, he like, loves that shit. Ro- Robbie's really good, but Robbie... He's not Jim. <laughs> yeah, you know. So, and maybe that's a flaw in Jim that when he sang Robbie's songs, he did not have the same enthusiasm as he did when he sang his own music. Mm-hmm. So, like, um, imagine he sang, "Yes, the the river flows" or whatever, uh, with the same passion that he sang, um, "Not to Touch the Earth." Mm-hmm. Exactly. Do you think in the studio recordings or the the rehearsals when they were writing that song and creating that song, if Jim put that same passion in, do you think Robbie's guitar, John's drums, and Ray's organs and uh, and keyboard would have changed if Jim was more passionate about that song? Yeah, I think so. I think absolutely. Because this is the time, especially like I said, he kind of ran out of music. And he wasn't really writing. And this is the beginning. We've said it a hundred times already. This is the beginning of the end, kind of. This is where you're going to start seeing him get dark, doing a lot more, you know, uh, experimentation with life, with drugs, with whatever. Um, so yeah, I think he was more obsessed with his thing. And to go into a studio and not really have the amount of songs he had in the first two albums probably kind of messed with his head a little bit, especially when the rest of the guys got to come up with, you know, you got. You got you know, hey, I got a flamenco song. Really? You got a flamenco? Now, don't get me wrong. It worked. But, like, you know, it's probably just one of those things where Jim's like, holy shit, I really should have probably wrote wrote more lyrics for this one. No, but that's a really good point, Tim, because, right, because he was so confident because he was so familiar with what he did before that, and he already had added all his personality into those songs in the first two albums. Suddenly, it's like, Oh shit! What do I do? And yeah, no, that's a really good point. I, I didn't think of it in that light. So when he started singing Jim's songs, he, uh, excuse me, Robbie's songs, he got nervous, and you know because there is a pressure. Um, I'm sure. I don't know, obviously, from experience, but I'm sure there's a pressure where Jim was like, "We have to produce. This is our third album. First two albums were huge. We have to produce." I don't have anything. And okay, this is a year. This is, by the way, this is a year. This is 1968. They released two albums in 67. That's how quickly this, these, these first three albums came along. 
all stuff they had recorded, uh, you know, already wrote, written together. Mm-hmm. Yep. Which, which you would know if you watched the first two uh, Pro Tunes, Doors shows. And if you haven't, shame on you. Go back and watch it. But yeah, um, it, that that's a really good point. I didn't think of it that way. So he may have just felt such tremendous pressure um, because Robbie was adding all these different songs and he didn't know how to add his own flair to it. So yeah, that that's a great point. I didn't think of it that way. Who yeah. knows if it's true? We, none of us will ever know because, you know, he's dead and whatever. But so then it comes the last song on the album, which is called What, Tim? Five to one, baby. Love this song, man. I, I was jamming ah. out on the train. On the train, I was jamming out to this today. I was getting, I was getting all headbanging and everything to this one today. It It is a great song. It, it, this um, is definitely a Doors, a Jim Morrison Doors song. Like you, you, there's no doubt in your mind. If you if you never heard a Doors song until you started watching our three shows, and I played this for you, said who is this? That's the fucking Doors. You're gonna know it right off the bat. Uh, it's super political. It's super. It's just like a mean. I don't know how to describe mean. Not mean. It's a tough song. I want to say. A lot of things in this song that you can be interpreted in several different ways. Such a great song, though. And, and before, Keith, before you tell me about what you like about it, I just come across this, which I think is phenomenal. The guitar solo on Pearl Jam's Alive was based on Ace Freely's guitar solo on the Kiss song She, which in turn was based on Robbie Krieger's solo in 5 to 1. So how great is that? Not, that everybody, is everybody steals. Everybody steals. They just change a little thing here and there. And it's all based. I think that's a phenomenal reference. And, and you know what? In in general, like if if you're stealing riffs, but altering them a little bit to be your own, I personally think that's a complete compliment. Yeah. If you're just straight stealing, like, uh, and this also goes for hip hop artists because I've heard. Uh, like little certain beats in hip hop songs, especially the RZA. The RZA takes up such obscure beats. Like I, I am a huge, huge fan of the RZA. And as we grow in pro tunes and pop culture pros, you'll see me on some of the hip hop stuff because I'm a big old school hip hop head. The RZA is oh, someone's gonna do Wu Tang. You know, someone's gonna want to do Wu Tang. On oh, and channel. I'll be on that because the RZA to me is. I mean, Dr. Dre is beautiful, but the RZA to me is so raw and great. He took such obscure beats that nobody even heard before in our generation, that is, and slightly altered them and added backbeats to them with synthesizers and uh, drum machines and stuff like that and made such like, I mean, like if you grew up in my era and you heard a RZA beat, Sometimes on YouTube, there's RZA beat uh, tracks, and it's like an hour of RZA beats, and all you do is hear the beats. And all you do is the whole entire time is this. Close your eyes and bob your head. RZA was amazing. But if you did not hear those other songs previously, you would not know you're listening to tracks from a song. Now, there's other artists who just took the exact beat and ripped it off. Sampled to me, that, it. 
sampled, sampled it. it. Right. <laughs> and to me, that's robbery. But if, if you take an idea from another artist and grow on that, that's progression. And there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, and that's what the Doors did. That's what a lot of rock and roll groups did. How many rock and roll groups stole riffs and beats and thoughts from Led Zeppelin and Black Sabbath? And it goes on and on and on. And that's okay as long as you progress on it and make it your own. Mm -hmm. But the Doors had no shame. They would just say, <laughs> yeah, like, we took, took this from here. I took this, changed, changed three notes, now it's ours. <laughs> But that's beautiful. It's progression. What's wrong with that? You know, like if if you created the most perfect architecture of a skyscraper, Tim, and then I look at your uh, spec sheet and I say, but you could change this and this and that. And 10 years down the line, I make a better skyscraper. And then somebody after me makes a better skyscraper. What is wrong with that? If I copy your skyscraper and say it's mine, then you're an idiot. Mm -hmm. You know? The doors were progressionists. They're amazing. I'm yapping because I just I love the doors. I no, it's a great song. Plus, like yeah. this song, this is one of those songs where you thank God they got a bassist for the uh studio version because you needed that bump, bump, bump. But even though Ray does a hell of a mm -hmm. job in, in live with that stupid organ of his, he does a great job. But the bass line is so great in the studio song. You had to have that base. And I, the base, I forgot the base's name. It was a different guy than the original. I think it was Barry something. Anyway, yeah, when, when, that, when that song starts, that bass. Oh, my God. Yeah, I'm hooked. I'm already hooked before the first line. I love it. I love it. And I said, this song gets so, it's political. It's antisocial. It can be it's interpreted in so many ways. All the lyrics can be interpreted in different ways. Um this is yeah. This is one of those headbangers, man. This is one of those you just sit back and relax and you just enjoy the song. I'm trying to look up the Doors studio bassist to get the oh. name for you, but I think I had it somewhere. Yeah, and we mentioned him in the past. Both I, I think either you or me, both of us, or either one of us remember the name, but we forgot. But um, yeah, so and just a quick flashback: the Doors. Uh, when they recorded their studio albums, um, they brought in and hired a bassist to play on their albums. Oh, I know Larry Nitchell did the first two. This one was here. Douglas Pat, Pat Lubon. Sullivan. Douglas Lubon is listed as a studio bassist for Waiting for the Sun. So he's the one that came in and fucking did that bass line, which, which again, which if, that, if that don't hook you right off the beginning, it hooks you right in the beginning. All the time, I said when, when, when you and I have my my yes, I still have an iPod. Everybody, I'm an old guy. I still have my iPod, and that's on shuffle. And I, you know, I'm sitting there, and then then I'm like, oh my god, I'm, I want to get up and like fucking throw something at somebody. That's how great that opening riff is. Yeah, and, and if you really listen to the lyrics of the song, it plays to multiple generations i mean it was aimed at the 60s i mean there was a lot of political turmoil going on and if if you know a lot of you people think that like now with trump and everything else that there's a lot of political turmoil going on now you have no idea what the children of the 60s grew up with yeah um 
not putting they, you down. There's a lot going on. They got now. the and guns. We got the numbers right there. They got the guns. We got the numbers. We got the numbers right. And that's the, that's the every lyric. <laughs> that's the perfect lyric for any time of rebellion or you know. And, and not putting down like what's going on now. Uh, it is super important uh, because it's happening now, not sixty years ago. But um, just to say that this is not the first time there is important movement going on. And all of you who feel that there should be progression and movement should go back in our history and study what happened before, before you take your next step to learn from their lessons. Cause that's the best way to progress is to learn from somebody else's mistakes. Was that too, uh, was that too deep? Not at all. Not at all. But I want to play the song right now. <laughs> I'm so annoyed we can't play it. <laughs> I, I, You think I should just play the beginning of it? Just play the beginning. So great. That's it. That's what I want to hear. <laughs> I, hold on. I muted in between so that way they don't censor us. But if you had doom, doom, doom. And if you don't know better, it almost does sound like... Um, John is doing that because John and, and that's an, that's a huge compliment to John because he was so talented that he was able to duplicate that live. Mm -hmm. And it's it amazing. sounds if you really listen to it, it sounds kind of like marching an organ soldiers marching done, you know, kind of like a, like a march in a way. Um, a point. Yep. Yeah. I mean, I think this, this whole song is, you know, I I don't get political, you know. You know, Keith. I hate. I fucking hate discussing it, talking about it. But this is one of those I think great political protest songs out there. I agree, and and you and I have discussed this on many times. That I try not to overly involve myself with politics. Like I I will go out there and say like wear a mask. Um, that's yes. not all that's just fucking common sense. <laughs> or yes, it's it's wrong that if your skin is black, you're automatically judged by certain law enforcement. And that is a minority, let me just say that, because I also support law enforcement. So I will say things that people consider political, but to me I consider common sense. Uh but this song here was like a almost like a call to arms, almost like yeah. Trump standing at the podium saying, let's go tap me. Wait, is that political too? Because I do a believe. A bit. Yeah, well, <laughs> anyway, uh, you know, listen, I, 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 I do believe that politics are important, and I do believe what's right is right, so I'm not going to shy from saying when something is wrong, but I also understand that people get super upset and sensitive and there is a middle ground to a lot of things. One thing there's not a middle ground to is racism. There's no middle ground to that. You're racist or you're not. Um, hatred, you hate or you don't, and things of that nature. But anyway, again, I'm yapping. But that's my political boundaries. I don't go further than that because I, I just don't see the benefit for myself. But five, five to one is one of my all-time favorite Doors songs. Mm -hmm. Definitely great.
How long have we been doing this show for today? Hour and a half. Wow. The longest one so far. It really is. And it's one of the most obscure albums. It's true. Ugh. It's all right. We got three more to go. And then and then after that, if we wanted to talk about the live album, the movie, the poetry, we throw that all in one show. Knock it all out together. Yep. Next album is Soft Parade. Oh. So it, it's interesting, right? Because if you're still holding your attention with us, I appreciate you. But it's interesting because, like I was saying in the beginning of this podcast, the doors in this album, Waiting for the Sun, kind of broke the boundary into the new style that they went into. Like they they went from like what the studio wanted to like what they want to do. And to me, Waiting for the Sun was kind of like touching on that, like dipping your toes in the water. And Soft Parade, they all put hell. both ankles yeah. in the water. All hell breaks loose after that. All, yeah, right, all hell breaks loose after that. That's a good point. That's going to be a good one. But again, it's, it's, it's nine songs. None of them, only the Soft Parade is eight, eight minutes long. Everything else is two minutes. Oh no, Shaman's Blues is four fifty. Shaman Blues is a great song. They get to the they get to the point, man. That's what I'm saying. They get to the point, and you can definitely tell Jim started writing again <laughs> with the Soft Parade, right? Because it gets very weird, and uh, a lot of the songs are um, in between. Mm-hmm. You, you know what I mean? Like you don't see Robbie's influence on maybe Ro- I don't know who who wrote Touch Me. Uh, Robbie wrote Touch Me. Right. That's a Robbie song. But you don't see Robbie's influence as much on the Soft Parade as you do on Waiting for the Sun. Yeah, even though he wrote quite a few songs on on, on Soft Parade. Yeah, but you, it's more... Like you said, I guess it's like their angry album in a way before they kind of calmed down and went into the Morrison Hotel, which like you said, it starts getting real bluesy, real rock and roll, real blues jazz type for the last two albums. This one seems to be the peak of their anger or their rebellion or whatever. I really like, um, I mean, I love all their albums. I really like this album, but to me, after this album, things get amazing with the doors. Yeah. Yeah. I'm surprised. You know, the fact that they said they couldn't get Jim into the studio half the time, but he did some of his best shit. After this, when he did get in, the, when he finally did get in the studio, and again, there's no, pr- he didn't record Ellie Woman sitting on the toilet like they, like they, they fucking depicted in the movie. But I would, lo- if if that was true, that would be the greatest thing ever, and the greatest thing ever if he really recorded Ellie Woman sitting on a bowl. What was the song that they said he he sang? Was it Soft Parade? He sang while getting head from Pam. Yeah, Soft Parade. Yeah, I mean, maybe that was true. I don't know, but. I wouldn't doubt it. But to me, okay, so Soft Parade, and I'm not downplaying our next um <laughs> our, our our next episode. You should definitely tune in, but Soft Parade is it's it's really an amazing album. It's so unique. I don't think there's a rock and roll album in the history of rock and roll that you can compare the Soft Parade to. 
the title track alone we've discussed, Soft Parade, the song itself, is two songs mashed together to create one, one, one crazy-ass song. And and if you know what's funny, if you look at a lot of uh, if you're a Black Sabbath fan, look at a lot of Black Sabbath, um, a lot of their first albums were several songs mashed together. So that was kind of like a thing back then. Just so. That's great. We, that should be our our first. After this, and then we'll pass it off to somebody else. I know a lot of people are. Looking to um, oh, yeah, from our yeah from our pop culture pros, it looks like a lot of folks are tr looking forward to kind of uh, jumping in, right, and doing something. Yeah, I know that. I know Metallica was already discussed. Uh, yeah, the, I, I mean the the possibilities are endless. Yeah, I'm looking forward to see other people's take on what we started. <laughs> yeah. I think this was your idea, and then I was just all for it, if I remember correctly. Yeah, um, I, had, I had the idea. Of, well, I figured it'd be a good... Uh, I wanted an excuse to do a show with you and then talk about the door. So I, I told Faraci, I said, you know, if you're going to do a music show, this is what we should do to start it. We should break down an, you know, an album. And then I was like, well, fuck it. Me and Keith are massive Doors fans. Let's break down all the albums for the hell of it. And Yeah, yeah agreed. And, and, you know, for all of you who are still... Uh, have the stamina of still listening to us. I work from the minute I get up in the morning till almost the end of my day on a computer. So it's sometimes it's hard for me to get on a podcast because I'm also sitting in front of a computer again. But once I knew I had the opportunity to speak about the doors with Tim, all that was out the window. This is amazing. So next week we will be talking about um the next Doors album, which we are very excited about. Number four, studio album. album. Studio album number four. Yeah, and we may go into other um, other Doors albums because, as we mentioned, there, there are some Doors live albums, and a lot of the songs, obviously, we're going to cover along the line here through our um, discography or whatever you want to say, but um, the live albums have a different take mm -hmm. on Definitely. a lot they're of the a, songs. They're a great live band. They're a great yeah, live so band. What, what you and I would need to do is just kind of pick which songs we want to talk about, and we'll hopefully help you understand kind of like the greatness of the Doors when they're live and open your eyes to that aspect of their music. Mm -hmm. And you know, my hope is that we are doing that now. Um, Soft Raid. I am super, super excited about getting to Morrison Hotel, which is to me one of my favorite Doors albums like, ever. So I, I, I'm super excited to getting to that point with all of you. Um, but I think we should start wrapping this up because we're <laughs> hitting on two hours and probably nobody's going to be paying attention to us at this point. <laughs> we should just go offline and chat if we need to talk, talk beyond this. Yeah, man, definitely. But, I'm looking forward to next week, too. It's awesome. Yeah, next week we'll try to keep it a little shorter. Our first two weeks, we kept it a little shorter. This week, um, probably more my fault because I was running late. So I had a couple of drinks before we got online. So I'm just like super like <laughs> let's hang out sure. mode. But I uh, just want to say thank you to Pop Culture Pros 
for giving us this forum. Thank you to my good friend, Stephen Faraci. We love you, bro. And thank you for uh, thank you to Tim for bringing this idea to uh, fruition. And thank you to again to Faraci for allowing us to bring pro tunes to pop culture pros. And we just hope that a lot of our pop culture pro family carry this forum and kick ass with it. Go forward. Word. Don't all say word. Word. All right, brothers. Amen. Thank God. Everybody love you. And that's God with a couple capital G, Farachi. Um, <laughs> have a great night, everybody. Have a great weekend. Happy Valentine's Day. Don't do anything I want to do, which pretty much tells you to do anything you want to do. And peace. Catch up, everybody. Later.